the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy, featuring Josh Edison and M. Dentoff. Hello and welcome to the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy in Auckland, New Zealand. I am Josh Edison. Dr. Dentith will not be joining us this week, unfortunately. They were busy last week and this week are a bit under the weather, possibly just a result of uh, spending months caring for their mother, then immediately flying to the other side of the country and, and diving straight into work, possibly because apparently they were told by uh, one of their students the other day that they are looking good for someone who's almost 50. And um, as someone who is closer to 50 than Ian by 18 months, um, I'm, I'm sorry, but that, that's just true. We are indeed almost 50. Uh, but I can imagine that taking someone by surprise. So, Ian's resting and recovering for this week, so uh, I, I'm doing a solo one again. Um, we, we hope that by next week Ian will be up and, up and about and well and we can get back to, to a regularly scheduled episode. Actually, no, this is a regularly scheduled episode. This is the, this is the episode we were going to do uh, last week and then put off to this week, and now I'm doing it by myself. So it's not even really a filler episode. It's, it's the episode we had planned to do, so why don't I just do it? And uh, then you can go about your day. So the topic that we plan to talk about this week, and which I am now going to talk about this week, is the Pentagon Papers. It's one one we said we mentioned a little while ago, and said uh, another one of those topics where we thought, oh, we we must do an episode about this. Surely, how come we haven't already? I'm pretty sure we must have. This must have been back in June earlier of this year when uh, Daniel Ellsberg who is the man who leaked the Pentagon Papers, um, he died uh, back in June at the age of 91, I think, so that's not so bad. Uh, and so, yes, today, today is the day we have chosen to talk about the Pentagon Papers, which I I, I, ha I haven't verified this, I, I, I could possibly go and check, but I think, I'm pretty sure the Pentagon Papers is the first something starting with P Papers um, ever. We've, you know, in more recent times, there's the Panama Papers and the Paradise Papers and another one as well, I think, but much as Watergate, which this is fairly closely related to, uh, set the naming convention for scandals after that, the Pentagon Papers seems to have set the, set the naming conventions for leaked official documents, which is what the Pentagon Papers were. The Pentagon Papers is the name that the press gave to a report, or at least excerpts that were published from a leaked report, whose official title is Report of the Office of the Secretary of Defense Vietnam Task Force. Now, the report itself was a chronicle of the United States' involvement in Vietnam from 1945 to 1967. Uh, it went up until 1967 because that's the year it was commissioned by then Secretary of Defense, Robert McNamara. Um, he formed this, this Vietnam Task Force, a uh, bunch of staffers from the US Department of Defense, which of course is why it's the, the Pentagon Papers, and they, they then spent from 1967 to 1969 compiling this report. So from the sounds of things, McNamara was, was, was frustrated with how the Vietnam War was going. It was 1967, the war had been going for a while and not, not going particularly well. And from the sounds of things, he, at this stage, he was basically thinking the same thing that many Americans were thinking at that time, uh, namely, how the hell did we wind up in this mess? That, that seems to be the sort of the, the impetus for getting it going. And so by, by coming up with a sort of a, a definitive history of how we got to this point, I think he hoped to learn some lessons from that. 
Uh, yes, now, it was written by the Vietnam Study Task Force under Leslie H. Gelb, who was the Director of Policy Planning and Arms Control for International Security Affairs at the Department of Defense, which is a fairly impressive title, I think you'll agree. So, as I said, it took two years to write. Well, it went from 67 to 69, so definitely more than, more than one year to write. And it shows uh, the full report apparently is 7,000 pages long, split over 47 volumes. Uh, now, this was intended to remain classified, but parts of it were leaked to the public in 1971, two years after it was published. Now, the reason why this, this document was leaked and why it was, uh, why it was noteworthy when that happened uh, is that it showed that the US public had been lied to repeatedly by multiple administrations um, regarding Vietnam basically for the entire time the US had been, been active there. Uh, the report showed that the US had expanded the war in Vietnam much further than had been reported in the US media, uh, including the, the bombings in Cambodia and Laos. Uh, there had been unreported attacks on the coast of Vietnam, uh, Marine Corps attacks in Vietnam itself that, um, that, that, that had all been unreported. Uh, so a good summary of it um, comes, from, comes from everybody's first stop on any topic, Wikipedia, which says... The most damaging revelations in the papers revealed that four administrations, Truman, Eisenhower, Kennedy and Johnson, had misled the public regarding their intentions. For example, the Eisenhower administration actively worked against the Geneva Accords. The John F. Kennedy administration knew of plans to overthrow South Vietnamese leader Ngo Dinh Diem before his death in a November 1963 coup. President Johnson had decided to expand the war while promising we seek no wider war during his 1964 presidential ca campaign, including plans to bomb North Vietnam well before the 1964 United States presidential election. President Johnson had been outspoken against doing so during the election and claimed that his opponent, Barry Goldwater, was the one that wanted to bomb North Vietnam. Um, and it also contained other examples of Johnson basically sending in the troops and then, after the fact, pretending to consult with people about whether or not he should send, send troops into Vietnam. And then, and then oh, oh, yes, OK, yes, no, my advisors have told me to do the thing that I've secretly actually already done. So that's that's why there's troops there, um, and so yes, apparently Barry Goldwater was was very interested to see this because, as they said during the presidential election, Johnson was basically saying Goldwater, Goldwater's the one he, he's, he wants to he wants to expand the war, he wants to drop bombs on Vietnam, so vote for me. All the while, planning to increase the the, the conflict, the, the the bombings in Vietnam. So the paper was leaked in 1971 by a man called Daniel Ellsberg, the man who died earlier this year. Uh, he leaked it to, or ultimately leaked it to the New York Times, which started publishing excerpts of it in June of 1971. So Ellsberg was one of the authors of the report. He was part of that Vietnam task force. Previously, he'd worked for the Rand Corporation. So he was a bit of, you know, Defense Department Rand Corporation. He seemed, from the sounds of things, sounded fairly sort of sort of right-leaning, but had become increasingly anti-war over the late 1960s. Um, they sort of mention a couple of sort of road to Damascus style moments to him where he, he sort of realized that what, what the hell's going on here, this is all wrong, and so decided that when this document was produced, uh, that, that he knew the contents of, um, showing, showing how a lot of the Vietnam War had been based on lies and what a cock-up the whole thing was, 
he decided it it, uh, it should be the, the the details and it should be known to the American public. So. Over a period of time, he surreptitiously photocopied all 7,000 pages with the help of another, another ex-Rand employee by the name of Anthony Russo. Uh, and then by 1971, he decided, you know, th th this needs to be leaked. So he went to a few different um, um, senators or Congress people who could have, so had, had they chosen to leak it, they could have introduced it into the congressional record while being protected by, I don't know, we have parliamentarily parliamentary privilege here in New Zealand. I, I, I'm not quite sure what the American equivalent is, but the point is they would be they'd be able to air these sorts of things and not get in trouble for it. But no senators were biting. One of them apparently suggested he should go to the press instead, which of course then uh, opens him up to getting in trouble. But he figured this was important. This, 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 the, these truths needed to, needed to come to light. So he took it to the New York Times uh, and I think a couple of other papers, but the Times was the one that started publishing it. Uh, so on Sunday, June the 13th of 1971, the New York Times began publishing a series of articles which included various excerpts from the report. And people started to know uh, what had really been going on in Vietnam. Now, of course, June 1971, uh, Richard Nixon is president at this time. And he... From what I've read, he didn't didn't seem too troubled by it immediately, and didn't didn't plan to do much about it straight away because the documents, like it, like, like, like I said earlier, they had embarrassing revelations about the Truman Eisenhower Kennedy and Johnson administrations, but they didn't have anything to do with Richard Nixon. No, nothing in the report was personally embarrassing to Nixon, uh, and more 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 uh, even more so. He figured that by getting this report out in the public, that would solidify, that, that, that would remind the American public that Johnson and Kennedy, they're the ones who are really to blame for the Vietnam War. Obviously, the Vietnam War is very un, unpopular among the American public. And so he figured, well, this, th th this will remind them that it's not my fault. I didn't, I didn't get us into this mess. It was the presidents who came before, came before me. I'm, I'm trying to get us out of it. Um, so obviously, he couldn't officially um, approve of this leak. Publicly, he called the leak treasonable. And um, but but his only real concern was finding out who the leaker was, not about actually stopping the leaks. But uh, his lawyers, though, encouraged him to take action, figuring we we we'll probably want to do something about this, and we if we're going to, we better do straight away, because if we wait until the Times has published a bunch of stuff and then try to put a stop to it, well then that 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 might hurt their case if if they'd already let it continue for a while. Now, one of the things I've read suggested that uh, Henry Kissinger was the one, or one of the people, who convinced him that he should actually try to stop this stuff from getting published, um, because he he figured that you, d you didn't want to set a precedent that it was that people could get away with leaking uh, information that could be embarrassing to presidential administrations. Can't can't think why he wouldn't want to establish that precedent, but. Um, there you go. Uh, now, uh, another interesting detail is that apparently Ellsberg and Kissinger had been friends, but had fallen out, I, I think, over Vietnam. Uh, I read about um, Ellsberg had sort of, you know, publicly confronted Kissinger at, at, at events sort of standing up and saying, you know, how can you justify the amount of the, 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 the extra deaths that are happening here had been, had been publicly vocal against Vietnam. And so their, their friendship had ended over that, from the sounds of things. And Kissinger, from what I've read, took the leak as, as 
something of a personal betrayal. This was his former friend now um, now betraying the government, as it were. Uh, there's an interesting uh, an interesting quote I read from Nixon's Oval Office tapes. Nixon, obviously famous for for surreptitiously recording everything that went on in the Oval Office, and one of these recordings has him talking to um, H. R. Haldeman, who was his chief of staff. And if you listen to these tapes, you can hear um, um, Haldeman says Rumsfeld, talking about Donald Rumsfeld, he says, Rumsfeld was making this point this morning. To the ordinary guy, all this is a bunch of gobbledygook. But out of the gobbledygook comes a very clear thing. You can't trust the government. You can't believe what they say. And you can't rely on their judgment. And the, the implicit infallibility of presidents, which has been an accepted thing in America, is badly hurt by this. Because it shows that people do things the president wants to do, even though it's wrong. And the president can be wrong, so so here Haldeman's saying, you know, this, this, this these leaks they damage the, the the institution of the American presidency, and so that's a reason to get rid of them. Uh, interesting in reading that, I I found out that Donald Rumsfeld was both the youngest and oldest U.S. U.S. Secretary of Defense, which I I know I've heard people complain about how there there seem to be these these characters in American politics who just hung around like a bad smell and just when you thought you were, you were listening you were rid of them there they were again and 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 you hear about politicians getting up to dodgy stuff and they go who who is it now and goes oh no it's just the same same bunch of bastards who we've been stuck with all this time but anyway interesting interesting little side note so having been convinced that they should do something to stop the leak of what had been called the Pentagon Papers, uh, the next administration sought an injunction against the Times publishing any more of what they had, so that went to court, but un uh, unfortunately for Nixon and his administration, the Supreme Court eventually ruled that the Times could continue publishing uh, these, these leaked documents. But... The courts had ruled that uh, the administration couldn't couldn't stop the Times from publishing anything, but it didn't say it didn't say anyone couldn't do anything about Ellsberg himself. So once Ellsberg was known that to to have been the leaker, he was he was in a spot of bother. So he had actually turned himself in, uh, and he turned himself in shortly before the Supreme Court ruled in the Times's favour, and. I sort of just seen a quote from him essentially saying that this was su suggesting that he turned himself in because it was the right thing to do. You know, he'd, he, he, he'd done this thing, he was responsible for this leak, and so he was going to stand up and take responsibility for it. I don't know if there's more to it than that, if he knew that they were on to him and, and was sort of turned himself in rather than be arrested, I'm not quite sure exactly. But the fact is that he turned himself in. Uh, both he and Anthony Russo, the guy who helped him um, copy the report in the first place, were indicted by a grand jury in Los Angeles on charges of stealing and holding secret documents. That was the initial indictment, but the crimes that he would eventually be charged with under the Espionage Act, um, apparently the, the sentence would have been, I think it was 115 years had he been found guilty on all counts that he was... Um, accused of, so they, they did appear to be throwing the book at him. And to begin with, kind of, from what I've read, it kind of sounded like he was being railroaded a bit. He um, he wasn't allowed to speak in his own defence uh, to, to an extent. He, um, he appara apparently his defence, what, what he wanted to argue in his defence was that the files had been the files that he had leaked had been illegally classified in the first place. He 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 wanted to say that 
because the report had been classified, the, the, the specific reason why the report had been classified was not to stop America's enemies from learning its contents, which is the reason you normally classify stuff. He said, you know, it had been classified specifically to stop the American public from finding out what was in it because it was embarrassing to past um, presidential administrations. Now, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm not even close to being a lawyer, so I don't know. On the, on the face of it, that doesn't sound super convincing anyway. Like, whether you, whether or not you're arguing that they, they shouldn't have been classified, they were. They they were classified documents that he had chosen to leak. So I don't know if that's a great argument. But apparently that, so that, that argument had been dismissed and he'd been told he wasn't to give that argument. There, there's a, um, there was a quote from the, from the court case where his lawyer, like he wanted to, he, he wasn't allowed to say why he had done it, why he thought he was justified in leaking these documents and his defense attorney apparently said to the to the court something along the lines of you know I've never heard of never heard of a case where the defendant isn't allowed to say why they did the thing they're accused of and the judge said something along the lines of yeah well now you have interestingly enough after after this all shook out Nixon solicitor general uh, solicitor general a man called Irwin N Griswold um, later on, would call the Pentagon Papers an example of, quote, massive overclassification with no trace of a threat to the national security. So, I mean, it seems like Ellsberg was possibly right, but that's not quite the same. That's, it's, it takes more than that to um, defend yourself in court. There was also there was another biz, uh, bit of business where the judge in the case had met with the FBI, who it was suggested they'd, they'd offered him uh, a fancy position if he saw to it that Ellsberg was was went down or something like that, which he he turned down, but people say you shouldn't shouldn't have been while you're in the middle of a case, a, a federal case against a guy where the FBI is bringing evidence against him, you shouldn't be meeting with the FBI for any reason. So that was a little bit dodgy. Um, so things it seemed like things were stacked fairly heavily against Daniel Ellsberg, but luckily for him. The other side just went too far. They they had what you'd think would be a bit of pretty much a slam dunk case against the guy, but they they just had to take it too far. The FBI uh, illegally wiretapped him, and this came out in court. And good old good old Nixon, good old Tricky Dick, got got up to some of his dicky tricks. And and so once once these dodgy things that had been done, which we'll get into in a sec came out in court, the judge basically had no choice but to dismiss the case. Um, and so Ellsberg uh, got off scot-free, from what I can tell. So these, the, these, these the dirty tricks, the good old Nixon dirty tricks, he established a group of, of fixers who are sometimes called the White House plumbers because cause, cause they want to stop the leak. It's, 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 it's a pun or play on words. So the White House plumbers became somewhat notorious, and a bunch of them would go on to be involved in the in the Watergate break-in, but that happened after this. Uh, so in, in this particular case, um, one of the things they did was break into the office of Ellsberg's psychiatrist. They, um, they broke open the guy's filing cabinet to steal Ellsberg's psychiatric file, basically hoping it would, it would have dirt on him. It, it would reveal he, you know, had either embarrassing, um, mental who knows what, or, or, or whether they could show, you know, look, this guy is obviously unstable. He's, 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 
you know, they were hoping they could say, "Oh, this guy's crazy," so we can we can we can disregard anything he has to say. Uh, from the sounds of things, though, once they looked at his file, they found there wasn't anything in there they could use, and apparently just left it um, left it lying on the floor, and 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 away they went. Ellsberg claims that after. After the trial, he was told of a plot to, quote, incapacitate him, that they'd hired some guys to incapacitate him when he appeared at a, at a rally um, that he was that he was going to go to after the trial. And in, it's not clear if incapacitate means they wanted to kill you, know, if, if that's a euphemism for kill him, or, or simply abduct him, or, you know, or, or, or God, who, who the hell knows what drug him and, and keep him in a, in a nonsensical state for before he could do any more. I don't know. He, he claims there was this plot about him. So yes, uh, and unfortunately, Nixon's, Nixon's paranoia, basically, that caused him to do this, ended up biting him in the bum, because once it found out they'd done this illegal stuff trying to, to get dirt on him, and that the, the FBI had been illegally uh, um, acquiring wiretapping evidence against him, the case got thrown out. If they'd just done nothing, who knows how things would have turned out. But it's quite, it's it's interesting because, as I say, the Pentagon Papers business happened before Watergate, but it's, 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 some people have suggested from, in, in the reading that I've done, that the Pentagon Papers leak, that really, really sort of exacerbated, really brought out Nixon's paranoia that people were conspiring against him, because remember, uh, Kissinger sort of took the leak kind of personally, and after a time, Nixon also started to think, you know, is, uh, uh, did they do this specifically to damage him? Was it a conspiracy against Nixon to be people be leaking during his presidency? So, um, yeah, the suggestion is that because of what went on with the Pentagon Papers, Nixon's, Nixon's uh, paranoia was really ramped up, which would eventually lead to the whole Watergate affair. And so that's that's the basic story of the Pentagon Papers. They now they what what was reported at the time and what got all the attention was that it showed that the American public had been lied to. That throughout the history of the America's involvement in Vietnam, administrations had been lying about what was what was really going on, concealing things from the uh, the US public. But uh, Liz Gelb, who if you recall, was the was the head of the Vietnam Study Task Force, uh, that that authored the Pentagon Papers in later years, he's he's kind of hasn't defended hasn't defended the paper or the classification of the paper, but he has attacked isn't quite the right word, but he's he hasn't he, he's he's expressed dissatisfaction with the with the leaks and the way they were reported, because he thought it meant that people kind of missed the main point of the report. He he believed. That this this report, which was designed to show, you know, how the how how we get into this mess in Vietnam, what would we do wrong? And he he believed that the report showed exactly what they'd done wrong, uh, but because the message that got out about the report was simply the government lied to the people, all of this all of the lessons that could have been learned from the Pentagon report were not learned at the time. So from an interview he gave um, not too long ago, back in 2018, uh, he's quoted as saying. My first instinct was that if they just hit the papers, people would think that this was the definitive history of the war, which they were not, and that people would, would think it was all about lying rather than beliefs. And look, because we'd never learned that darn lesson about believing our way into these wars, we went into Afghanistan and we went into Iraq. 
Uh, and goes on to say, you know, we get involved in these wars and we don't know a damn thing about those countries, the culture, the history, the politics, people on top and even down below. And my heavens, these are not wars like World War Two and World War One. We have battalions fighting battalions. These are wars that depend on knowledge of who the people are, what the culture is like, and we jumped into them without knowing. That's the damned essential message of the Pentagon Papers. Uh, and then also, I don't deny the lies, I just want them, the American people, to understand what the main points really were. So, so that, that, that's an interesting, an interesting view on it, I guess. I mean, he, he's basically saying, yes, Vietnam was a cock-up, and if we'd actually read everything that the report said, we'd know why Vietnam was a cock-up, and we wouldn't have made the exact same mistakes in other countries in the future, which of course, had the papers remained classified in the first place. The public certainly never would have known all that, and um, it doesn't, doesn't sound as though... Like, and the, the, people who, the people who were behind America's involvements in Afghanistan and Iraq presumably would have had access to the report and went ahead anyway. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's an interesting, interesting way to look at it. And that is the Pentagon Papers, the original, the original papers. So that's um, that's the main topic of this episode. Uh, because it's just a filler, and and we haven't things have been a little bit wonky this week. I don't, we don't really have content for a for a bonus episode. I should say though, um, when we do, we're going to have to look into the fact that someone's been arrested over the death of Tupac Shakur thirty years later, uh, which. I think we were planning last week, it had just been announced. This week there's been a bit more details, so hopefully by next week, when we have a proper episode and a proper bonus episode, we can see what's been going on there, uh, and, and who knows what else will have happened by then. But for now, I think that'll, that'll hold you for this week until Emma's back in the saddle and able to, to, to record a full episode. Um, so, so fingers crossed for a, a speedy bit of, bit of resting and recuperation for Em. And we should see you next week. But for now, uh, there's really nothing I can do but say goodbye. The podcast's Guide to the Conspiracy stars Josh Addison and myself, Associate Professor M.R.X. Denter. Our show's conspiracy producers are Tom and Philip, plus another mysterious anonymous donor. You can contact Josh and myself at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com and please do consider joining our Patreon. And remember, they're coming to get you, Barbara.